the gift. It must say the gift. We're not talking about a gift. We're talking about the gift. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different traditional reasons why we celebrate Christmas. And, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with Christmas trees, lights, nothing wrong with exchanging presents, nothing wrong with getting together with family and having a wonderful time enjoying our families and so forth. But the problem is, is we can get so caught up in the activities that we forget about the reason. You know, I know it's a goofy old saying, the reason for the season. But you know what, it's still true. He's the reason. Jesus is the reason for the season. And so, you know, we don't wanna lose sight of what he's done for each and every one of us. You know, and, and so what happens is I think it's so easy to get caught up in everything that we, we lose the real spirit of it. Now, as born-again believers, <clears throat> for us it's a little bit different because uh, we have that spirit with us all the time. Every moment of every day, we experience that, that spirit of Jesus in our life and what he wants to do and what he has done in our lives. And so we need to, we need to keep that fresh. Uh, and, and so I want to talk with you about us receiving the greatest gift that's ever been given. You know, we, we look in the Old Testament, we see the laws of Moses. And they weren't, able to keep, they weren't able to keep it. They weren't able to abide by those laws. But Jesus came, and Jesus came as the manifested will of the Father. You realize that, don't you? That Jesus, his manifestation in the earth was the will of the Father. It wasn't that he just happened to show up. It was God's will. And it was God's will because he wanted to have relationship with you and me. He wanted us to be able to walk in the fullness, but he realized for that to take place, for that to, to happen, to manifest, we weren't gonna be able to do it on our own because we man proved that through the law that they weren't able to do it on their own. So what did he do? He gave us a gift. A gift that was unmerited, undeserved, that there was absolutely nothing we could do to earn it or to deserve it other than acknowledge that that gift was available to us. Now that's a gift. And that was a free gift that was given, presented to each and every one of us. And the, the sad thing about it is, so many in the earth have not accepted and received it. You know, the real tragedy is that people refuse to accept what Christ has done for them. You know, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is life. And there is no other way to the Father but through Jesus. And so what's interesting is how God wanted to have relationship with you and me. And so he provided the means by which we could have that relationship. What an exciting thing. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. 
There's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. It was all done through the shed blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And he did that for each and every one of us. You know, in the book of Matthew, we have the account of where, you know, Joseph was uh, engaged to, to Mary. And Joseph, being a man of, of integrity, and finding out that his fiancée was pregnant, his, his first response was that he was going to put her away. He was, he was going to put her aside. Didn't want to do it to embarrass her or to put her down, but um, he was going to move on with his life. And he was not thinking he wasn't going to, he was thinking he wasn't going to marry her. And an angel appeared to him and said, Joseph, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be concerned about it. Because this child is of the Lord. And so this angel appeared to him and spoke to him. And, and what's interesting is how he accepted that word that was spoken. And the angel said that this, this son, they were going to name him Jesus. And so if you've got your Bibles, it'll be up on the overhead. But in Matthew, the first chapter, and in the 20th verse, it says, but while he thought about these things, I don't know about you, I'd think about these things. And so Joseph was thinking about these things, and he says, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, <clears throat> son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus came and he took on flesh, he took on human form so that he could he could function in this realm. You're a spirit man. Amen? The Bible says uh, your spirit, soul, and body. Your soul is your mind, will, and your emotion. The spirit is part of you that was born again. But you notice that when you got born again, you didn't lose your physical body. Because you have to have that physical body to be able to express yourself here on this earth. If, you're, if your spiritual body ceases to exist, you'll cease to have the opportunity to express yourself in the earth. And so this physical body, Jesus took it upon himself. He took a physical body. Why? So that he might be able to express himself in the earth, but also so that he could take the form of man, that he could pay that ultimate price that was necessary for sin to be paid for. And of course, Jesus, we know that he lived the perfect life, but he had to be born a man. And so God, through Jesus, coming in the earth in the, in the form of man, became the perfect gift for each and every one of us. You know, Romans 6, 23 says, 
for the wages of sin is death. But the gift, everybody say gift. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Notice <clears throat> a wage is what you earn. You get what you deserve, you earn it. And he says the wages of sin, the consequence of sin is death and that's where all of us were headed. We were in a hopeless state. There was really nothing we could do about it. We, we may have tried to be good, but we couldn't. Amen, don't look at me with that tone of voice, it was true. We all know you tried, but you couldn't. But then Jesus comes along, and Jesus pays that ultimate price for you and I so that we might experience eternal life. But there's absolutely nothing we were able to do to earn it or deserve it, it was a gift. For the wage of sin, the consequence of sin. <clears throat> See, I don't want what I deserve. I want what I don't deserve. If I get what I deserve, that means eternal damnation. But when I receive what I don't deserve, I, re I receive eternal life. I receive heaven through my Lord and Savior Jesus. And that's why, why Jesus came. He's that, he's that great gift from God wrapped up in flesh so that you and I, so that we might be able to experience life. In Romans the seventh chapter, in the eighth verse it says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Then the eighth verse, which I really wanted to get to. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, Do you ever notice when somebody tells you you're not supposed to do something, how badly you want to do it? Don't tell me I can't because I will. You know what that is? That's flesh. That's our old nature, the old nature that wants to rise up. And that's what, that's what the law did. The law revealed what was really on the inside of you and I. The law revealed that we, we may think we didn't want to do these things, but the moment the law came in, man wanted to do it. And that's why Paul says, he says, I wouldn't have known covetousness unless the law had said. Now he is, he is guilty of covetousness, but he just didn't know it. You know why the law came? Because man thought they were all right. What the law did was reveal to us that we weren't all right. It revealed to us that we needed a savior. It revealed to us that we couldn't do it on our own. And once that was revealed to us, what did God do? He sent us a savior. He sent us this wonderful gift. For apart from the law, sin is dead. How does that apply? If you focus 
on the do's and the don'ts. It's what you'll want to do. It's what I want to, that's what'll want to dominate your life. But let me tell you something. If you focus on what Jesus has already done for you, what happens is that begins to direct your life. It begins to direct your path. You know, the moment that I was born again, I was set free in Christ Jesus. But you know what the problem was for many years? Nobody told me. It's like a prisoner being in prison and the door being unlocked. All he has to do is swing open that door and walk through. But you know, after you've been in prison so long, because the door is shut, you make the assumption that it's locked. And so because we have difficulty in our life and we, we look at the difficulty, we think that that difficulty is still dominating and still controlling our lives when Christ has set us free. You know, it was such a wonderful revelation to find out that when Christ set me free, he set me free. That means as long as I keep my eyes upon Jesus, those, want, those things that once held me in bondage don't have to hold me in bondage any longer. Or they can't. Because I fix my eyes upon Jesus. Not too pretty, but it's truth. That's where our freedom is. It's totally in what Jesus has done for us. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, in the 56th verse, it says, the sting of death is sin, is, is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Do you know why that is? It's because the law operates through the flesh. Now, as long as we yield to the flesh, you know, I was, I was thinking about the law. And I was thinking about driving my car. And, uh, you know, I, I made a decision to drive the speed limit. Well, at least to stay in the general area. And uh, I found out something, you know, that when I, when I focus upon the grace of God that he's given me to drive the speed limit, I don't get so upset with the people that get upset with me and pass me and wave at me. <laughs> if you know what I mean. But it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. But the moment that I begin to focus upon the law, the moments I begin to focus upon the fact that it's such an irritation to have to be driving 55 when everybody else is driving at least 65 or 70. You, you can't, they're doing better than 70. 
Is anybody here from Carroll County? What, what's, what's, what's the deal about Carroll County? Are they not able to read signs or what? I mean, they, they smoke past me every time I'm heading to Des Moines. There's a car that's coming up to me and it's like, it's, I can hardly blink and it's there. I can, I can put money on it. It's going to be a car from Carroll County. It's the truth. So I don't know what the deal is about Carroll County. But this is what I know, is if I'm focusing on the fact that they're going to get to Des Moines quicker than me because I have to obey the law, all of a sudden I begin to cheat a little bit. Why? Because I'm focusing upon the law rather than grace. That's what we do in our lives. We, we focus on law rather than on grace, and then we wonder why we get caught in the stuff that we get caught in. It's because we've not kept our eyes on Jesus. We've not kept our eyes on what Jesus has done for us. We move our eyes off of that and we put it upon the law or the restrictions or the requirements or whatever it may be, rather than keeping our eyes fixed on what Jesus has done for us. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. The strength is wanting to do something that really we know we're not supposed to be doing, but, we, but that's, what we, that's what we focus on. Let's go back to Romans once again. You know, the Bible tells us that all man sinned because of the sin of one man, Adam, because of his offense. And even though we haven't all fallen under or committed the same offense as Adam, we've all sinned. And so in Romans, the fifth chapter in the 17th verse, it says, for if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one. And see, that's what happened. Death reigned throughout the earth because of the sin of Adam. And you know what's interesting is man thought that they could do it on their own. They thought, man thought they could be good enough. And so the reason that God gave the law was for man to realize, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be able to do it in my own strength. And so it says, for if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Do you realize you're to reign in life? You're not to be dominated. You're not to be controlled. You're not to have others that, that dominate you. You're to dominate in life. You've heard me say this before, you know that, but when, when God created man, he gave Adam and Eve authority over all creation. They were to rule over, they were to dominate creation. And the, 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 the interesting phenomena as a result of the fall is that creation 
rules and dominates man. It's been flip-flopped and the reason for it is, is because we look and try to do it in our own strength and our own ability rather than looking to what Jesus has done for us. Y'all look at me like, well, I don't know about that. Well, you know, in creation, man was given dominion over everything. He was given dominion over the animals. He was given dominion over plants. I don't know the last time I checked, the majority of our illegal drugs are made out of plants. And what do those plants do? They dominate somebody's life. You know, the history of my family going way back is it was alcohol. Alcohol was made from plants. And it dominated life. I've, my uncles, the aunts, my aunts, they, they died prematurely. Why? Because of creation's dominance over them. It's time for us to take back what was originally given to us, to have dominion that those things that once dominated, once controlled us, they don't have the opportunity, they don't have the right to do that any longer. But it's not because I have this fantastic willpower. It's because of the grace of God. It's because of what Jesus has done in my life and what he's done in your life. Back to Romans again. fifth chapter, going back to the 14th verse. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift, everybody say free gift, but the free gift is not like the offense. What Jesus did for us is nothing like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more by the grace of God, and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ abounds to many. And the gift was not like that which came through one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. For the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. You know how you can tell whether you're walking by grace or you're still trying to fulfill the law? Are you free of condemnation? People tried to keep the law, but you know what? There was always condemnation. There was always this feeling that I didn't measure up. Been there? I've been there done that, tried, 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 but, but still felt inferior, insecure, felt like I'd failed. It says it's a gift of righteousness. 
If it's a gift of righteousness, that means there's nothing you can do to earn or deserve it. I mean, it's already been provided for you. So righteousness is undeserved, it's unmerited. And you know what? In and of ourselves, there's nothing that we can do to sustain it or maintain it, except keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because you know what? He'll never take it away from us. He's provided it all for each and every one of us. The gift of righteousness that God gave us is free, unmerited, undeserved. Refusing to receive this gift or trying to earn it is actually an insult of the giver. You know, uh, I found something out about my grandkids. You know, <clears throat> we give them a gift and they never say, oh, Grandpa, I don't deserve this. <laughs> they just take it and they open it. I mean, they know their grandma well. Remember one year they, you know, I think it was the Wanglers, the kids had opened their presents and one of them didn't get everything that he wanted. And he didn't get sad. He said, oh, there's still grandma. <laughs> you know what we do? We, we focus on the negative. We, we focus on what, what God has provided for us. And we begin to analyze it. We begin to look at it. We begin to think, you know what? I don't deserve this. Well, let me settle that for you right now. You don't. And you never will. It wasn't given to you because you deserve it. It wasn't given to you because you've earned it. It was given to you because God loves you. We don't give our grandkids presents, maybe our kids, but no. We don't give our grandkids presents because they've earned it or because they've deserved it. We give it to them because we love them. You say, well, pastor, that's, that's, that's operating in the natural. You know what? I'm able to love because he first loved me. And let me tell you something about my love. I love to love on my grandkids. But my love for them in comparison to God's love for me is zippo. It's nothing. It's uncomprehendable for me to understand the love of God. But because of that love, we're able to love others. We're able to love one another. We're able to give unconditionally. Not because of our temperament, not because of our personality. It's because of the love of God in our life that equips us to do that. Well, pastor, there's a whole lot of other organizations and stuff out there that, that give a lot to, to the poor and to other people and so forth, and they don't know Jesus. Yeah, but let me tell you something. Down deep inside, there is always another motive. Many times that other motive is because it makes me feel good. Well, if it makes you feel good, it isn't unconditional. You're doing it because it makes you feel good, not just because it makes the other person feel good. 
God's love for us is because it's a gift that we need in our life and he wants to provide it for us because of the great love that he has for us. When his love is operating in our life, it isn't dependent on how it makes me feel. Let me tell you something, I've had to do stuff for people and I didn't want to. I know you don't identify with that because you always want to be, be good. And, you know, and that unlovable person, you just want to pour something into their life. Well, holy, holy art thou. I ain't. Sometimes I don't want to. But I do of the love of God. Usually feel all right about it afterwards. But getting up to that point, let me tell you something, it can be a struggle. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. You know you've been there. That's the God we serve. He loves us beyond our ability to comprehend. Romans 8, 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Everybody say all things. Gives us all. You know what that means? That means he's not withholding anything from us. He's not holding out on you. God's got so much for each and every one of us. But you know what the problem is? We've been filled with so much false information. Let me tell you something. It didn't begin with, what do they call, what is, what's Trump called the news media? Fake news. It didn't begin with fake news. It began with fake religion. When religion didn't tell us the truth. When religious didn't show us the whole way. When religion told us there's something that I've got to do. I'm not worthy of it. And so I've got to do this, that, or the other thing to earn it, to get in the right place so that God can bring his blessings upon me. Let me tell you something. That's a lie. Because if it's dependent upon that, you're lost. You're hopeless. There's nothing that can be done for you. But it's already been done. And it was done for you and me through the person of Jesus. And he says, here it is. It's a free gift. It's been provided for you. But you know what? Our little pea brains can't understand it. It can't comprehend it. And so we try to come up with all of these Methods, you know, you know what a religion is? It's man's attempt to get right with God. And so all of those methods make sense to us because it ministers to our mind. But we can't depend upon our minds. We've got to depend upon our spirits. Job 22, 28, it says, you will also declare a thing and it'll be established for you. So light will shine 
on your way. You will declare this thing. You know, the process is we've got to see it. We've got to come to the place where we believe it. And then we've got to speak it. We need to declare a thing. And what do we declare? We declare what Jesus has already done for each and every one of us. We've got to be convinced. And he says that the light is going to shine out of that. In other words, we're going to finally see the way. We're going to see the direction that we need to go in our life. In 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, and the fourth verse, it says, whose minds the God of this world, the God of this world, and by the way, it's a small g, better be, yes. The God of this world has blinded. Do you know why you share something exciting that God has done in your life and everybody around you, they just kind of, because they didn't see it. Because they're blind to it. Because they're looking at it in the natural. And because they're looking at it in the natural, they can't perceive it spiritually. And so because they can't perceive it spiritually and they're looking at it naturally, they're saying, well, that, that, that can't happen. Whose mind the God of this, this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. But we have this treasure. Which treasure? The light. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. See, we recognize where the power is. The power is not of me. The power is of him. The power is in him, and we can trust him. We can have our confidence in him, and our eyes have been opened that we might be able to see the truth. And the thing about it is, is it's not a contradiction. I think sometimes we, we separate the New Testament and the Old Testament, and if we see it, uh, we, we think there's such a contradiction there, and oftentimes people think, well, God must be confused. But he's not confused. It's, it's, it's how we interpret it. It's what we're looking at. Are we trying to take the New Testament and make it fit into the Old? Are we recognizing that through the New Testament we have the interpretation of what we see in the Old? But you know, the message has always been the same. The message has always been to put our trust, our confidence in God. Going all the way back to Abraham, remember, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham did not do anything to deserve the position of righteousness. But he was considered righteous. He was declared righteous. Why? Because he believed. So it's not changed. It's always been the same. It's believing in God. In Isaiah, the 61st chapter, the first and second verse Prophetically speaking, 
about Jesus. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, to open the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of the Lord, of, of, of our God, and to comfort those who mourn. You see, that's all for us today. It's been provided. Listen to the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed him to preach good tidings. We're anointed to preach good tidings. <clears throat> Guess what? The gospel is good news. Good news. Good news. The gospel is good news. You say, well, pastor, I think we, we, we've heard that, yes. Well, then why is it when you hear some people, it sounds like it's bad news because of what they're focusing on. The gospel is good news. Because the Lord appointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. Sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, claim liberty to the captives, open prison to those who are bound. Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And so that was given to us in the old and, and Jesus quoted from this in the new. In Luke, the fourth chapter, the 18th verse, he says, this is Jesus speaking because it's the fulfillment of what was spoken in Isaiah. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind. He has set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closes the book and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your scene, in your eyes, in your hearing. But you know, it's interesting, in Isaiah, he said, <clears throat> that he's, he's come to open prison doors. But in Luke, he doesn't say that. In Luke, he says, to open blind eyes. But you know, you look at that in the Hebrew and it's basically saying the same thing. And so what's the significance of that? When your eyes are open, the prison doors are open. When you begin to see as Jesus gives you vision, those things that bound you, those things that held you prisoner, they can no longer hold you prisoner because now you can see. I can see clearly now. The, no, that's not, doesn't. Your eyes are open. You're able to see the truth. And that truth that you see and that truth that you accept and that truth that you declare, that truth will bring freedom into your life. 
And do you know why that is? It's because of what you're focusing on. It's who you're looking to. You're no longer looking to yourself to earn your salvation. You're looking to Jesus who has already provided you with salvation that you might walk in the fullness of it, that you might experience the abundance that's available to you. But you know what? Until our spiritual eyes are opened, all we'll see is the natural. When sickness attach, attacks you, you just see sickness. You don't see beyond the sickness and see yourself whole. When there doesn't seem to be enough money in the checking account, all that you can see is the lack of deposit. You don't see beyond that, that God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. You're limited. Because you're looking and seeing only what the natural is. We have an example of this in the Old Testament back in 2 Kings. We have these armies that are coming against the man of God. And in the morning, his, his servant wakes up and he goes outside and he looks around and he goes into his boss and he says, we're in trouble. We're in big trouble. He says, the armies are out there. The prophet says this, he says, don't worry about it. It's more with us than against us. The servant looks around. He sees armed men on every hill and chariots, horses. Sees thousands. He looks at the prophet. One, two. Why? Because he's looking through the natural. You've probably heard this story hundred times and you're thinking, what does this have to do with Christmas? Has everything to do with Christmas because, because of Christmas, your blind eyes have been opened. Second Kings 6, 14, it says, therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city when the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And the servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And so he answered, Do not fear. You know, we would say it, Do not fear. For those that are with us are more than those that are against us. I don't, I don't think Elijah was talking that way. He just simply said, don't fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. And so when the Syrians came down to him, Elijah prayed. And the Lord said, strike his people. Pray with blindness. And so their physical eyes were closed. But notice what happened to the servant. His spiritual eyes were opened. And because his spiritual eyes were opened, he was able to look around him and, and realize that in the natural, 
even though everything around us is an absolute impossibility. With God, nothing's impossible. There's more with you than against you. When you feel like everybody's forsaken you, when you feel like everybody's turned against you, you feel like there's absolutely no way out of this mess, this pit that I'm in, God says he'll open your spiritual eyes and you will see. Now for the majority of us, we've not had a spiritual vision where our eyes were open and we saw into the supernatural and we were able to see the armies of God. But God's given us even a more sure thing than that. He's given us his Bible. And so when we go through his Bible and something's trying to attach itself to our, body, our, our bodies, we don't have to see into the spiritual realm physically with our eyes. We know what the spiritual realm holds for us because we know that Jesus Christ of Nazareth went about doing good, healing all who are oppressed of the devil, that by his stripes we've been healed. And he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so we can declare, I am redeemed from sickness. I am redeemed from poverty. I am redeemed from bondage of every form and shape that the enemy would try to bring against me. But it's because of Jesus. Father, open our spiritual eyes. And isn't it interesting When Paul, in the book of Ephesians, prayed, and he gave us this prayer that we might pray it. Listen to what he, he says in Ephesians, the first chapter in the 15th verse. He says, therefore I also heard, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, in your love for all the saints, <clears throat> do not cease to give thanks for you. Isn't it interesting? When he heard of their faith, oftentimes we get caught up praying for people's needs. We hear that somebody has this need, so we pray for them. And we, we should. But listen to what Paul's saying. He's saying, after I heard about your faith, your great faith. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And this is what he's praying. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now listen to this. The eyes of your understanding. He's not talking about your physical eyes here. He's talking about your spiritual eyes. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what are the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above 
all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who is filled with all in all. What does that mean? It means everything that you and I need to live a successful, abundant life in 2018 is available to us. But oftentimes we don't know it. We don't realize it because we're still looking simply at the natural. Now don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we just ignore the natural. I'm saying the spiritual is more significant than the natural. And the spiritual, when we see it as being more significant than the natural, will give us whatever we need to deal with what we see in the natural. That's keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. You see, the gift I'm talking about is so much more than just simply remembering about a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes laying in a manger. We're talking about the God of the universe who created all things, who took on flesh so that he might come as a gift to you and me that he might pay the ultimate price so that you and I, that we might have life and not just simply a getting by life, that we might experience life more abundantly. What's more abundant? Probably more than what you're experiencing right now. And how do we get it? By seeing what Jesus has provided for each and every one of us that we come to believe it and we begin to walk it out in our everyday life. What a wonderful gift that's been presented to you and I totally unconditionally. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. We have to receive it. It's what you have to do with the gift. Because if I've got to earn it, it's no longer a gift. I've earned it. It's my wage. But because it's a gift, we do nothing but say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life that I might have life. Thank you, Jesus, 
for living, leaving your home in heaven so that I might have a home in heaven. That's the gift that's been presented to each and every one of us. Yes, it was given 2,000 years ago. But the effects of it are still being given and manifested in our lives today. So if you will, no, let's not do it that way. Everybody follow me in this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he took on flesh. He became a man so that he might live that perfect life and die on that cross. But he is raised from the dead for my justification. Jesus, I believe that you died from my sins, that you were raised from the dead for my justification. And I receive you. I receive that gift of salvation. And I thank you that you've saved me, that you've set me free, that you've opened my eyes that I might see more clearly than I ever have. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Lead me, guide me, direct me every step of my life. And at the end, may I hear those precious words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of the Lord. Father, I thank you that I can call you Father and that you've sent the Holy Spirit to live within me. I welcome you and I ask you to lead me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know that was a little more than Joel Osteen usually does on Sunday morning. But I want you to know something. If you prayed that, and you meant that, then you've been born again. And the Bible says, that if you confess it before man, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And maybe you grew up in church. I grew up in church and didn't pray and receive Jesus until I was 24 years old. But if you prayed that prayer for the first time today and meant it, you were born again. And so what I'd like you to do is after church, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to either come up to me or come up to one of the elders or somebody in the church and 
You say, I, I prayed that prayer today and I meant it. The reason why that is so important is because it'll seal it. It'll be more alive to you than it ever would be otherwise. And so on this Christmas Eve, if you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've received life and you've received it more abundantly in Jesus' name. And so y'all have a very Merry Christmas. And I'll see you before New Year's. But if not, have a glorious New Year's. But make the decision that this year is going to be the most productive year that I've ever experienced. And the reason is because this year I've chosen to put Jesus first place in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Have a blessed day. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them.